You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where all of us are here. My name is Frank. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and over in sunny Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Eight straight wins for the O's, baby. Yeah. Uh, down in Sumter, South Carolina, looking like a professional Thanos, we have Delmar Pete. <laughs> What's up? Straight from the purple button up. Yeah. Down in um, uh, Trinity, Florida. Is that where, that's where you live, right? Yeah. Uh, we got Tim Miller. Hey, hey, hey. Happy summer. And down in, uh, I know you're in Arkansas, but I can't remember the city in Arkansas, but somewhere small probably, in a coffee shop, we got Andrew Larson. I am in Russellville, Arkansas today. Russellville. And uh, it's, it's very exciting. Also, did I get demoted? Why is Tim before me now? Well, I mean, the guy hasn't shown up. Yeah, what happened? The guy hasn't shown up in like three months. Because <laughs> I remembered Trinity, Florida. <laughs> I couldn't remember where in Arkansas you were. Well, we're here. Andrew, th- do what? they say Russellville or do they say Russellville? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Ville is pronounced. Okay. Because like in Tennessee, it's confusing. It's like Severville. <laughs> oh, yeah. Severe Severeville. Oh, man. It just depends on which southern you're in. You or, know? or Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm saying that from Baltimore, where <laughs> we add vowels and take vowels out of words yeah. for no reason at all. Yeah. And I'm in Milwaukee. So, hey. <laughs> um, so, guys, it's been a while. This is the first time all five of us have been together on the same stream in, in, in quite a few 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 moments here. So I want to quickly just catch up with you guys. How's it been? How was last week? How was the your 4th of July? Did you guys see Top Gun or Thor My Love and Thunder? I want to hear all of sucked. it. I, got, I had a flight canceled on 4th of July while I was sitting on the plane with my whole family. How does that we happen? Had two oh. hour, we had a two-hour delay. They loaded us up onto the plane. And then they said, oh, by the way, because of the two-hour delay and the pilots were sitting in the plane full of people, uh, that counts as their flight time. So now if we take off, they'll be over their allotted flight time. So we have to cancel the flight as we were already on the plane. They canceled the flight. It was a Dude, terrible they, these flight. These airlines need to hire some project managers or something. Like, this is out of control. Where, where do you insane. even place that? So how did your family react? I mean, did y'all keep it chill or were y'all – I mean, I would not have been chill, but, I don't think. <laughs> My six-year-old was sobbing because it was his first ever flight, and he was oh. just so sad that he was never going to get to go on a flight. And then it was Allegiant, so it was my own fault. But we, <laughs> uh, but Allegiant only flies to Little Rock from St. Pete Clearwater every Monday and Friday. So this was Monday. They could get us on the flight on Friday, but then we would lose half of our vacation. So they put us on a flight to Tulsa the next day. So we went back home. Tuesday night, we got on a plane on a plane to Tulsa. Went to Oklahoma, rented a car one way, had to drive from Tulsa to my in laws' house, and then the next day we had to return the car to Fort Smith. So wow, not a, and Allegiant did nothing. So you know, add the extra flight, then add a two hundred dollar one way rental, hundred bucks worth of gas, all so that I could fly on a cheaper flight. Thanks, Allegiant, for costing me more money. Happy birthday, America. And still of America. Freedom, baby. My 4th of July was pretty fun. I'm beginning to realize that I'm putting 4th of July and Halloween in a similar category in terms of fantastic times to meet your neighbors and like build relationships with people. So, because of the cultural stuff that happens, you know, everybody's off on 4th of July, they're grilling out. So, we we live in a neighborhood. Uh, we're, you know, we're in a parsonage, but we live in the middle of a neighborhood. And so we've made some friends with neighbors and, um, my 4th of July was myself and it was like, there was like 19 or 20 people at my house. And I was the only adult male. Everyone else was either a child or a mother of those children. And so it was pretty interesting because I basically cooked for everybody and then sat on the deck and just hung out and listened to a lot of conversations about people I didn't know about things that I was not aware of or a part of. So it was, it was pretty fun. And I played with the kids and uh, we had a good day. And then we stayed up late and watched fireworks in my neighborhood because people are absolutely bonkers here. 
and people were lighting off like the big, the real big fireworks in my neighborhood from the street. And like, it was insane. Even, even people from my own neighborhood from Baltimore were like, this is nuts this year. And uh, I got to witness my neighborhood. We have a, a neighborhood group called straight out of two, one, two, two, seven, which is my area or zip code. And dude, <laughs> the posts and comments about people being angry about fireworks. And then the comments calling those people, Karen's was just entertainment all day long on my phone, reading that stuff during 4th of July. It was wild. So my 4th of July was really fun. Uh, I ate a lot of hamburgers. I ate a lot of, you know, you know how you do that thing at cookouts where you make the burgers and then like an hour later, you just eat the burger patties that are just left over. Just like you just pick up burger patties and just eat them. I did that. And I don't, I did not eat dinner. I just kept grazing all day. Yeah, I did that yeah, with hot dogs. Thing. I love. I just love grabbing a, a dog. Grabbing a dog, grab, maybe yeah. maybe put a little barbecue sauce on it and just just eat it. So good. Mm. Thanks, America. We, we had a a fun Fourth of July weekend. We went down to one service at church. Our service was not patriotic. We didn't sing a single song about America. We celebrated Jesus, and then on Monday we had fun Same. celebrating America. It was awesome. No one in the no one in the church complained. I. I did wear my my ultra patriotic shirt, which is uh, American flags and Abe Lincoln uh, buttoned down from Target. Got a lot of great compliments on it. And then we uh, we did our new Fourth of July tradition as a family, which involves us buying very little fireworks because our neighbors go crazy. We sit in the screened in porch. We bought a bunch of pool floats. So we all floated around the pool and watched the fireworks. We have two separate cul-de-sacs in our neighborhood that we can both see from our back uh, pool area. And we watched the cul-de-sacs compete with each other in fireworks while floating from the pool. Like you just, it doesn't get much better guys. Which which cul-de-sac one? The one on the right directly behind us. It was phenomenal. Tim, I, if I was a betting man, I would actually bet you that I probably have more pool floats than you, but I have a 10 by 30 inflatable above ground pool. So there's literally (laughs) three times as many floats as there is surface area in my pool. (laughs) You can't have enough floats. It's just, it's just glorious. Everybody brings my daughter floats, like because we had a cornhole league for a few weeks, and all the kids on Monday nights when we would play, all the kids of people that were playing or just other kids in the church would come and swim. So everybody bought these pool floats. So we have like, we have three of those giant like unicorn floats. We have two or three flamingos. We have we have a flat float with a pillow that's longer than the pool is wide. I don't even know what we're doing at this point. It's the Redneck Resort. Dude, that sounds amazing. We could probably combine our floats and give them to Andrew, and it still wouldn't fill his pool, though, just because wow. of how massive his pool is. Nice. Am I the only one Mike, here without a pool? I don't know if well, mine Frank counts. Le- mine's Frank a, mine's a large baptismal. Yeah, Frank doesn't. Yeah. There's no mine's a large there. baptismal, yeah. Dell. Uh, I got you. Well, we had a Fourth of July. I I put my drone in the air and just watched everyone else's fireworks. That's awesome, dude. Good footage. <laughs> it's, it's cheating, actually. Yeah, I just got some pretty good stuff. But yeah, we did that. And then uh, this past Sunday, we showed up at church and we were gonna load in. And whenever we were loading in, um, the district had locked down our media closet. So at nine ten, I finally got word out they were not going to be able to get that media closet. So I had to go get a sermon ready to preach at nine forty five, and then our whole worship team had to strip down into an acoustic set because we didn't have one microphone or light or anything. So uh, we just kind of pitched hit, and I mean I think it actually it's cool because our people are really gracious and they're very flexible. And they they know how to make the best out of a bad situation. So it was actually pretty fun. But uh, yeah, yesterday that's just a normal day at, uh, at when you're a campus pastor at a school environment. Sometimes, Dell, when you texted us, I was I think I was getting ready to preach, so I didn't actually see what was happening until afterwards. And then I saw it and thought, it, wow, that that is that is next level. Like I have never on, had it on the spot. In- yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never had a nine ten uh, um, where you usually I know it like at least eight, but um, but you know the cool thing is when you were been, when you've been in student ministry for like how many years, I was able to go and go back into something, and I was like, man, this actually fits perfect for where we're at, even you know in our church. So I was able just to kind of modify and and roll with it. I'm sure a lot of y'all had to do that. That speaks to the importance of the Dropbox folder filled with all the sermons you've ever preached. So you can hundred percent fact. Amen. Del, when you uh, texted that picture, I was down on my hands and knees looking 
up underneath the air conditioning unit in the church building because <laughs> it was broken. So what we ended up doing is opening the doors to the fellowship hall because that section of the building has air and putting big fans in there to blow the cold air into the where the kids were going to have children's church because those poor the poor children's church workers, one of whom is my wife, were just like they were just it, they were just muggy in there. It was just hot. And uh, we got it going, though. But yeah. Emergencies so on Sundays is, are is always Baltimore fun. heat. Is that like, did it get to like 79? Uh, no, it gets up like tomorrow's going to be like 96. So, I mean, oh, wow. that's legit. Yeah, that's, le- yeah. that's legit. That's Global warming is affecting us. It's been it's been yeah, 105 it degrees here in Arkansas every day that I've been here. That's it's a no like for me, dog. In, it's like walking into a blow dryer. Yeah. Frank knows he used to live here. Yeah, it's uh, it's oppressively hot uh, where, where you are. It get and now having said that, Tim. Today it is the high. Today is eighty six, so that's pretty normal. Eighty five, eighty six is pretty average for a summer day. And what's beautiful is that means the morning is like around well, seventy. As, it's really weird. Today we're having an abnormally beautiful day. It's seventy five and cloudy. That's here. amazing, dude. It is awesome. Well, as yeah. much as I'm sure everyone would love to continue to hear us talk about the weather, we should hey, uh, <laughs> talk about the Practically Pastoring Conference! Where the weather will be it, amazing it in February. Amazing. It'll be in Florida. It's going to be... What's the date of that? February 20th? Dude, you had a chance at a professional segue and you missed oh, it. No, the segue is still perfect. It's going to be February 20th to the 22nd. Uh, Happy birthday, yeah. Amy. Uh, 2023. Um, if you go to com, we already have tickets being sold. It's great. We have friends coming back. We have new people coming. It's going to be great. Details are coming soon. Get the earliest price ever right now. Go to com. Invite a friend. Uh, um, Andrew, why would someone want to come to the Practically Pastoring Conference? Because we're going to learn from each other. There's no experts. There's just us hive mind learning together and it's a whole lot of fun also it's in florida in february yes it will not be 105 degrees yes and it will not be freezing cold yes it's it's and i got a direct message from jerry this morning who will be there as well if if you know jerry you know that he had a blast last year and he cannot wait to hang with everyone this year it is going to be amazing i cannot wait so privatelybestroom.com go there This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, now I want to just, you know, I want to spend some time with you guys, have some discussion, get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. Um, I have three different kind of discussion points, but two of them are kind of connected. Um, So since we last chatted, first off, Mars Hill ended like a year ago, but like the, the podcast ended like a year ago, but they keep putting out new episodes like every like two or three months. I know this one literally could have just been. A discussion with Tim Keller, nothing to do with Mars Hill. Yeah, I mean, but they, yeah, they tied but they it in a little bit. A new, but... They'd have to be in a new stream. I know. How, how do you have a stream that have when you have this many people subscribing to a stream? I know. You got to keep you brand everything can't as Mars up, Hill. Can't give up these push notifications, but baby. They, That's they, right. They, I well, now that we've talked about it, the Mars Hill, the Rise of Mars Hill. I've put out a new episode where they interviewed Tim Keller. Guys, the re- there's a there's a bunch of reasons why I love this episode. One. It, it kind of answers that question that people have been ac- accusing Christianity today of not willing to interview or not having interviews with some of the people who have aligned with Mars Hill or with Mark who are more conservative or reformed. And, 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 you know, to be fair, I'm guessing that a lot of folks have turned down Christianity today to not participate in this, in this podcast, but dude, they got Tim Keller. And, and also Tim Keller is one of the – I mean, I'm already showing my cards for the next question that we're going to ask. But Tim Keller is one of the wisest men I know. I love everything he says and writes about. And um, and he, he is battling cancer, and he made time to do this interview. And I don't know what you guys I, – I, Jeff, I think you said you've listened to it like a couple times already, like four, four times. It is one of the wisest conversations I've ever listened to. 
Um, but I wanted to quickly talk about some of your favorite parts of the episode. If or if you hated it, I would hear that too. If you, if some... I listened to it on half speed just to soak <laughs> it in. Um, <laughs> but there, you know, one thing I, I I think the one part that kind of like illuminated from the episode obviously was the part where there was the accusation that the Gospel Coalition of Tim Keller platform Mark Driscoll. And I love how Tim answered that question where he said, we didn't platform Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll platformed us. And I just thought that was such an interesting conversation of how history is so, like, we look at that, we look at Tim Keller and the Gospel Coalition, see how big they are now, and assume that they platformed uh, Driscoll when Driscoll had a bigger platform than the Gospel Coalition and Keller and all them back then. So I, I guess... Is there any kind of insights, things that you saw from this episode that you wanted to talk about that you thought were interesting or good or helpful or helpful to you? Well, on the, along that line with the with TGC, I thought it was good how um, Cosper, the interviewer, basically said, you know, you're you're speaking against the whole like evangelical complex or that whole thing. But TGC is built on that. And he admitted, like he said, you know, touche, you're right. It is. You know, that TGC is kind of built on that whole evangelical independent model. And, um, you know, we're kind of seeing that maybe that's not the best thing always. So I, I thought that was good that he admitted that. But um, I, I really like the um, when he did a little bit of history on revivalism and just talking about the way that, you know, ministers were prepped and how one can lead to really fast growth and the other doesn't. But, you know, there's pros and cons with that. I thought that was that was a good part. As someone who's a part of a denomination, go ahead, Andrew. I was saying, as someone who's a part of a denomination, that sometimes there's tension there. I I appreciated what he said about the importance of denominations and the roles that they play. And the thing that Tim and I talk about regularly is, you know, we are grateful for the accountability and the structure that our denomination provides. There are things that get in the way and that are, you know, make you want to roll your eyes, but. It's pretty difficult to produce a heretic. I I did like that part when he said when they when in the beginning when uh he was asked about how he felt about the church growth movement and he basically said I just rolled my eyes a lot. I felt I felt very validated because that's how I responded <laughs> a lot of times. Same. Did glean a ton. In fact, I thought this would be awesome for my staff and my elders to to chime in on. So in our agenda that I sent out last week to our staff, I included the link and said, you know, please listen to this ahead of time. And they've already been emailing me back saying, thank you so much. This is going to be a great discussion. The same for same goes for my elder meeting on Wednesday night, instead of a typical devotion that I'll do to open each meeting, we're actually going to have an open discussion on this particular episode with, with Tim. And I, I think for me, there were, there were multiple parts because he talked about their rapid growth. He talked about how they were able to bob and weave a little bit and how they had to adapt and basically they they had to they had to formulate systems that that fit their culture not necessarily systems that would fit every church culture yeah but because it worked out so well there they had other church leaders coming in to try and model them and so they were saying oh so we should have a jazz band and tim's like what are you talking about that makes sense for us it does not make sense for you guys at all So I love this idea of, yeah, systems matter, but that doesn't mean that the system at the church down the road is going to be the same system you need to adopt at your church where you're at now. So I think it's going to generate a lot of great discussion for us as as church staff and elders. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, my mind really got going into where do you parcel down the pragmatism in the church, right? Because you can become so pragmatic that you do not need Jesus anymore. You know, I can I can have this vision, cast it this way, get this buy in, have repeat and, and like literally push him out. And I think this is the the bad negative end of evangelicalism. Right. Like I am evangelical. Right. But like we can get to a point to where like the only thing that matters is this one thing. So unlike your denominations, which does a good job of preventing heretics. When you only say this, that you only have to know this one thing, everything else is free game. And it, and you just use pragmatism to shoot out that one thing. I think that there's a lot in that. And that's why I like to see tell, Keller's, he's not just implementing other systems. He's saying, hey, what works in our church, in our context? Yeah, I mean. And he talks specifically about the. The, the times that when you grow and how you can see this could be really dangerous for a single leader 
if you don't have these systems in place, just because there's additional red tape doesn't mean it's a, a bad thing necessarily. Right, just because right. it takes longer to make a decision doesn't mean it's a bad thing because at the end of the day, you're going you're gonna to have to protect that leader by providing true accountability for him. Otherwise, he's going to go rogue. I think we've talked about it before, but he wrote an article years back about church size yeah. dynamics that I think is really, yeah. really helpful. Talk, I mean, the, the fact that he spoke, that the nuanced, candid conversation about denominations and institutionalism is is kind of refreshing because so much of our world yeah. is so negative towards a towards denominations and then b towards the institutionalizing of of anything, anything. you know and yeah. and the fact mm. that he was able to show both like the positive and the negative of it and and i yeah like what delmar said like pragmatism can't be good in the church all the time. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just, it's just a really good, it was, it was a really interesting conversation. I just thought it was insanely wise. I also, did you guys catch that? Like he wasn't like, maybe this is his age. And when you get old like that, you have like so much swagger that you don't care. Or if this was just like a thing where like he, he didn't try to speak positively about Mark. Does that make sense? Like when Mark was brought up, he was just like, yeah, that you can't do that with Mark. Like Mark wouldn't allow any accountability. Like Mark, he was so blunt about his views on how he would interpret Mark in a setting of, I mean, even like the conversation of how Acts 29 started and his pushback with the original founder of that, of that uh, Spanish river church. Like, yeah. He was just so candid about those relationships and those dynamics. I think it was a little bit of him defending himself because I'm sure his name got dragged, you know, ever since, you know, Mark got famous. But like, um, but like it was almost like a defense that wasn't so much like it felt like defensive as much as it's like, hey, let me just clear the air. This is what's actually happening. And this is like he, he made it very clear him and Mark are not in the same worldview. It, and for whatever reason, everyone keeps lumping them together. And and Tim made, and I, and I think if we objectively look at Tim's ministry and and what he's done, they're very different people. And it's weird that they lump up together. So I don't know. It was a really good episode. But but let's let's tie let's tie that into the other discussion I want to talk about. So there was an article that came out last month. I believe it was in May, um, where someone on the First Things blog uh, website said that they have uh, evolved on their view of Tim Keller. Does anyone know kind of like the first things like ethos, like denomination, church, background, anything? Never heard of her. I know they're conservative. I think they are reformed-ish. First things is to me what Lamb's Reign was to you. Yeah, probably. It's probably a good way to put it. Oh, by the way, I've said that Lamb's Reign article to like a million people. People were like, this is so yeah. helpful. I actually like I yeah, I actually it used is. it um to um as a as a as a as a resource as as a source for one of my papers I wrote this week. Um it's funny. Um anyways, they are oh, this is interesting. It's like a it's a little ecumenical. It's evangelical and Catholics working yeah. together. It's uh, we're doing real time research here, people, because yeah. clearly <laughs> we've put a lot you of effort this into this. To us, to I, I've read first things before, but I don't think I ever under, knew like the the background. So I take back the reform part. I, I think they're just like a anyway. First things first. I'm the realist. Yep, it's by Iggy Azalea. Okay, so um, this article is going around by a guy named James Wood where he talks about how he's evolved on Tim Keller. And basically the, the conversation goes around Tim Keller's third way kind of perspective on politics and his winsome attitude. And in the podcast with Marcel talked about that, like the way he was so successful in New York was because of this like winsome personality and winsome perspective of reaching people who are far from God and having reasonable and rational conversations about faith. To say that Keller's not conservative would also be a far-fetched thing to say. Like Keller is like one of the most conservative voices in evangelicalism. Um, I, I mean, I can't. He's conservative. He's just not mad all yeah, the time. He's conservative, but he's not a jerk. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I don't know. So I'm. I, everyone's read this article. You can read this article in the show notes. And basically, towards like the later half of the article, the first half is him praising him about how great he is. But then it evolves in the fact that, like, 
as he looks into the culture, the way the world has come to um, um, not be, he, he claims that for several decades, America has been kind of neutral towards Christianity, but that recently it's gone very anti-Christian. And so to have this third way winsome approach is not good and not effective anymore. So, yeah, he says it in here. There was a neutral world roughly between 1994 and 2014 in which traditional Christianity was neither broadly supported nor opposed by surrounding culture, but rather was viewed as an eccentric lifestyle option among many. So that's a huge claim that I think explains everything else that he's about to say in this article. But that sentence is a big part because if he perceives that from the mid-90s to the mid-2010s that the world was neutral towards Christianity, then therefore we need to change. It's ironic that what happens after 2014 is around the same time Trump like put his name in the race to become the president of the United States. And that's when everything kind of changed in terms of politics as well. So I guess my question to you guys is as you read this, I, I, I didn't know about the, um, the, the, the Kuiper Prize of Excellence in Reformed Theology from Princeton Seminary that was offered to Keller and then it got revoked. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Also, I didn't know Princeton Seminary had a Kuiper Prize uh, for that. But anyways, I guess my question is when you read this article, what are your thoughts? Is Keller's perspective outdated and should we as Christians change? What do you guys think? I guess my first thought on the article was his argument was almost, okay, Keller, you used to take this. I mean, uh, from my perspective, it's a pretty solid biblical New Testament approach to politics. It's very similar to the the Jesus approach. And that no longer works for us today. Like, I, I don't, I don't know that his argument was all that sound that, it used to work, but it no longer does. I still think that the, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing works. I don't know that we have to take this overt earthly political approach at at the same time. It's like, stop this kingdom focus, but no, 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 we can have a kingdom focus and still, still care about politics, but I don't think it has to infiltrate all that we do. Well, I think it's built on like a presupposition of when you say it doesn't work, what do you mean works? Because frankly, I don't like, especially if you're reformed, you shouldn't care if it works or not. You just preach the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're reformed in your approach to salvation, you just preach the gospel and let God do his thing. Um. So yeah, I I, I agree with you, Tim. I'm kind. Of, that's where I'm kind of at. I don't think we should take a blog post as a serious academic piece right. of research. He's creating his own definitions. It's kind of like we've talked about this before. When someone says, well, that's not what I mean by reformed. Well, what, who says that you're the one that gets to decide what reformed means? To say, well, right. Princeton Seminary well, – yeah, Princeton Seminary is the biggest, most reputable Presbyterian seminary on the planet. So yeah, they can give out a prize for reformed theology because whether or not it means what you think it means in the historical definition of the word, the giant PCUSA seminary gets to define what they want to – in that stream of theology. So when you say that Keller's not conservative based on your definition, well, I don't, I don't care what your definition of conservative is. So uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of time for articles like this. I do think, yeah, aside from the article, I think it's important to notice that we are, we are increasingly in a culture where everybody wants to define the things themselves, you know? So like we have to look at like how many labels you're going to find somebody who looks at Keller and said he's a white wing extremist. And then you're going to find somebody who can look at Keller and say, you know, he's a left wing loony. And, and we all want to define. Well, that's I mean, what he honestly, said about himself we, in the Mars Hill episode. He said, I mean, in, New, in, in New York, I'm a conservative. Anywhere else, I'm a liberal. Exactly. So, so I think it's important that we realize that, like, even in the reform community, we don't get to make these definitions. You got the London Baptist Confession, you got the Westminster Confession. Like I don't get to, and, and history matters and all this. So I think as we move forward, it is going to create more tension and, but also require more effort and more intentionality for Christians, especially pastors to have accurate definitions and have accurate meanings that are not just tethered to like the cultural standard, but that have like 
historicity behind them and objective truth. Because as Christians, we are the believers in objective truth, right? So I think like that is an important conversation. To me, that's what this can of worms kind of kicked open. It's like, all right, stuff is changing, right? And like even the, his whole foundational statement, which Frankie did a good job identifying that, it was that Christianity is now hated. Okay, well, what is Christianity? I mean, not not from us, but like, what is the what is the new definition of the world? You you understand what I'm saying? Like, people equate tr- Christianity with sometimes nationalism, right? But also, there's a, an increasing wave of Christianity who are anti-nationalist. So, I mean, what is it? I think we have to go back and and go to the core tenets of the faith. That is why we have to stand in opposition to some of these things that are tearing away from it. Used to be when we were growing up in seminary, a lot of you were there. There's the emergent church movement. Remember that whole thing? <laughs> but, but now we don't have to call it that the, the gloves are off. You can call it. It's, it's worked its way into this church growth stuff. Um, and what will we do? What will we redefine so we can acquire more market share using our, you know, resources to use the church growth language. I wrote down a couple things specifically from this. I think um, number one, he kind of admits to being a fanboy of Keller, which I get what he means, but I think it's helpful to just remember, like, don't be a fanboy of any person. You know, even in your critique, don't give just a man this much power to kind of shape your worldview. Um, And then I thought the slippery slope critique was probably misplaced towards Keller. I think you need to have your own convictions about you know, biblical ideas. And he's kind of making it to me. I took it as he was kind of saying, like, if you, if you take Keller's approach whole cloth, then you're on a slippery slope towards something. And it's like, well, don't take any one person's approach whole cloth. I mean, take it for what it is. I think it's pretty wise. I do think it matters that there's been no scandals around Keller. Um, You know, you, you, you got to take that into account when he teaches that he's actually believes what he's saying. Um, but yeah, I, now one thing I think that he points out as a danger that I would actually agree with. And I felt kind of, kind of convicted by is the hardening of my heart towards people who are on the conservative side of things. I think that's very fair. And I think that is a danger we got to look out for. Um, if you find yourself in a desire to be winsome, there can be a danger that you, Sort of, I think he actually talked about this in the Mars Hill podcast in a different context. But you start to, you start to do that thing where you say, "Oh, well, their critique doesn't matter because consider the source." And I think that that is a very fair. I felt that critique and was like, "Oh man, I got to watch out for that." When it comes to people that I've known for a long time, or when it comes to people who maybe are in an older generation than me, sort of writing them off as like, "Oh, those conservatives," as if they're, you know, I think about. You know, even people like my own parents, right? We may have different, a little bit slightly different views on things. We actually are pretty much the same, but I find myself wanting to critique almost anything they say about any particular issue just because, you know, maybe I assume that they watch too much Fox News or whatever, and they they probably don't. Um, but having said that, like, these are the same people who raised me, who've been married for three decades, uh, you know, so like, I, I'm not it's not it's not OK for me to harden my heart towards that group of people because, um, you know, I also find myself wanting to reach people who are my age who don't want who don't want any part of what they view as the fundamentalists or whatever. And so I think that critique that he gave is is really fair that we got to be careful not to favor the one group over the other because we're afraid of offending one and losing our witness and all that stuff. I think you just got to hold your convictions, be kind, and let let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Can we for a second just recognize Dell's excellent use of the word historicity? Yeah. Was, yes. That was, was good, Dell. Man, thank you for not letting that go under. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I was – the one thing that he mentioned was the same thing I noticed, Jeff, was that – you know, if you find yourself hating someone or looking down on someone because of their who they vote for or something like I um, I can understand there was something he said in the article where it's like it seems like in your winsomeness or he used another word, 
you often kind of like are catering towards one side and like ignoring the other yeah. side um, because the, pre- the, pre- the perception is that they're that the other side is the one that's going to hate you. So therefore you have to win them over or something. Like I get- yeah. He said public. What did public he say? Witness, he said, yeah. yeah, I look down on those who voted differently than, than me, usually in a rightward direct direction. Public witness most often translates into appeasing those to one's left and distancing oneself from the quote deplorables. Yes. And I think he's, he is head on. He is right on. And in my own heart, I totally am like, dang, I do that. I got to stop doing I got to not. Yeah. And I mean, like, like, um, I, I, I think I repent everyone. I repent. It's really easy to create caricatures based on who people vote yeah. for. And like, like, so, it, you know, on one end, you know, there are people who are conservative, not because they're mindless Trump supporters who like some people legitimately are like, yo, the economy was better with Trump. Like I want gas yeah. prices to go down. And yo, that's a hundred percent fair. The other side is like, you know, I, I was talking to someone who literally, you know, there was that pastor in Tennessee who said, um, you know, if you're a Democrat, you're not welcome to my church. And then there's like people who will kind of echo this sentiment that like you can't be a Christian and be liberal. Like those two things yeah. are like antagonistic towards each other. And I was talking to someone who I care about who's very conservative and he was kind of saying the same thing. He's like, how could you be a Christian and be a, a vote Democrat and stuff like that? And I kind of explained to him, I said, you know, most teachers vote Democrat and like there are Christian teachers, like Christian, like people who love Jesus who vote Democrat only because the Democrat Party is the one that funds public schools. And it's not that they would support anything else, but in the same way how there are some Christians who are one issue voters, some teachers are one issue voters. Like, so like t- to to look and then they legitimately said like oh I never considered that. And it's like we like I agree that we have to be careful of not creating caricatures of each other or of people because of who they vote for. I just find it I find it difficult knowing knowing and like like looking at the 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 legacy of Keller and 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 hearing the criticisms that he received it just it feels so unfounded. And also like the the third wayism that he quote he says that 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 Keller follows it's like I feel like if 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 our kingdom is not of this world and ultimately Christian ethics are going to cause you to I mean I was just having a conversation with someone about how Christians should see refugees and we were I was thinking about how a lot of Christian conservatives kind of default to whatever the American the United States government, like saying like, well, it's a complicated issue. The government has to protect us. Therefore, like we have to be careful with refugees and stuff. It's like, I get that. But like scripture also isn't vague about how we should see refugees. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, 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 and there are moments where we, we are not going to fit neatly into the partisan politics of our culture nor should we ever. And then on the flip side of that, I think I said this in my last episode, in the last episode, I don't remember. Um, the entire New Testament is written from a place where Christians did not have a voice in politics. They did not have a voice in their government. And that is our our writings to us for us to how to process where we are right now. And though we are in a privileged position where we can speak into the government and even the government will at times do things that are perceived as good for Christianity, that is the exception, not the rule, right? And so therefore, if that's true, then we are going to look like there is a version of secular liberalism in the same way as secular conservatism. And if secular conservatism and Christian conservatism look identical, then their Christian part is what got kicked out. Does that make sense? And that's terrifying if we're not careful about this. Does that make sense? In the same way, if you if you were a Christian progressive and your views looked the same as secular progressives, what got removed was the Christian side of your progressive theology, if that, if that makes sense. I think that when Keller talks about a third way, he's talking about being consistent with what Scripture says regardless of how, the, how it ends up in the public square. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know. 
our uh, our podcast is titled Practically Pastoring. I think there are some uh, some some pretty practical points that we could have here for pastors. One is that I think we as pastors, we know our congregation. Maybe I should say we should know our <laughs> congregation well enough to where we're probably going to know the political leanings of the vast majority of our members of our churches. So we have two temptations, and I, I wrestle with both of these, honestly. One is to preach to the choir for the praise of the man, right? We, we know if we say a certain thing from stage, we're going to get the high fives. We're going to get the attaboys. We're going to get the pats in the back. At the same time, we also know that, hey, if we want to— We might even get taken really, out to lunch. <laughs> if we really want to stir something up this week, I could say this, and it could really spark some controversy just for the sake of sparking controversy. So I think there is a caution here not to lean so hard on one side or the other, that being the praise of man or uh, for the soundbite or for the, uh, you know, just to get people riled up. So I think there, there's there's some balance and some pastoral etiquette that could be that could be gleaned from yeah. this. Any other any other words before we, we, we dive into the last thing I want to talk about? Nope. Yep. Go look at the article. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about Keller and this discussion over in the in the facebook group but um so tim you posted something in the facebook group that got me really uh intrigued i think we've talked about this before but i would love for you to take a deep dive into your process of assimilating first-time guests first-time visitors because you posted it sure and there was no context to it and and he posted it like it was just nothing. yeah and it's a very well laid out process that involves uh, a call text message emails ministry info sh- i don't even know what that means i want to hear what what this means i want to know what, it, what it's about and if you want to see this if you go to our facebook group you can see the picture of this um in the facebook group so tim what's what's happening here yeah so i took a screenshot of our workflow uh for first-time which, visitors which, and if yeah, you don't know what a yeah, workflow is I'll, I'll explain so if you if you have planning center which was what we use for our church database system. It's what all of our ministry used to schedule volunteers, et cetera. Inside of Planning Center, they have a little system called Workflows. We, we haven't tapped into the full potential of Workflows. I'll be honest it's with you. It's in People, guys, correct? Yep. Planning in Center blue, People has, in the blue has one, Workflows. Yeah. And what's beautiful about it, and, and if you see the, the screenshot that I took, you'll see that there's, uh, there's seven steps to our Aww. first-time visitor assimilation process. And in those seven steps there is a different person who gets dinged each time someone makes their way through the workflow. For example, uh, step number one is entered into uh, our database system. That's our office manager. She gets the cards that are either filled out on Sunday or the digital cards. So she'll check the website as well to make sure she gets digital cards in there. She'll then enter them into the database and hit check on step one. As soon as that's done, then I get dinged with an email immediately saying, hey, you have three new visitor cards awaiting for you. So then I'll click on said visitor cards. I can actually go in. What I'll typically do is I won't just read the info. I'll scroll down to the notes section because what our office admin will do for me is put in anything pertinent that I should know. Hey, I spoke to this person. They've come to the church three times. They're specifically asking about baptism. Okay, got it noted. That's how I'll reach out to them. So the first touch point that a first-time visitor gets from Lakeview after filling out a card, which we all know that's the big challenge. Getting people to actually fill stuff out is really, really difficult. We blast it from stage. We give out free swag. We have a QR code to make it super easy. Even then, just a small percentage of people actually fill out a Connect card. Uh, The first touch point they'll get is a text from yours truly. I used to do a call, but I switched over to text messaging about seven months ago. I just noticed that fewer and fewer people were picking up. So I was leaving more and more voicemails and I'd rather have some sort of dialogue than just a voicemail. So I have a a pre-written text that I send out that I will just quickly edit on the fly, depending on what the person filled out on the card. I'll send them a text and I would say I probably have a 90% response rate from people. I usually get a response. Hey, thanks for reaching out. This is great. See you next week. I had a quick question. Do you have time for a call? There's usually a response like that. Once I finish my step, I hit check as in complete. It then gets sent to one of our volunteers who has all their info. And they, about seven days after my text message is sent, will send them an email that says something like, hey, thanks for coming to Lakeview last week. Here's a list of ministries that we have available. If you're interested in these, please let me know and I'll get you in contact with a uh, one of our ministry team leaders. So 
if they, and this is where it, it drops a little bit. We don't have a great retention rate here. She doesn't get a lot of responses every now and then she will. But if someone responds as, yeah, actually, you know, I, I am interested in serving in kids ministry. That is when our, our key volunteer over assimilation will put them in touch with our kids ministry director. And that's where that spot where it says ministry connection made on our workflow. That's how we know if they were actually put in charge with someone. And then five weeks after uh, a check-in is then sent and that's done by our volunteer as well. The goal obviously is to move them to regular attender status. And then the regular attenders will get notified about upcoming membership class. So that's, that's our first time visitor workflow. It's very new. We started it, um, I think towards the beginning of the year this year. So it's still, um, in the, the learning stages and the growing stages, but so far I've, it's, it's the best system that we've had at Lakeview since I've been at Lakeview. It's easy for me to understand people know where they're at in the process. And I can go to our elders and say, Hey, we had six visitor cards filled out. Five of them responded. Here's where they're at in, in the flow. So hope, hope that helps. Uh, I don't know what you guys are doing for your first time visitors, but that's that's our process at a we small a to medium sized church. Uh, we have a workflow; it's just a lot lot more streamlined than that, but <laughs> streamlined, similar. Tim, uh, you said you text them. Is that from your phone, or do you use like a? Yep. So you don't use like a, a different nope. service or Google number or anything. We have, and my I, I have I have battled with our office administrator on this. She purchased a church cell phone and has asked me to carry it at all times, and I've refused. So everyone gets my cell number. It's just the easiest way for me to connect and contact and talk to people. So I, I do give out my cell number. I haven't had anybody. Oh, there has been one person who has abused having my cell number, and that's it. So I, I feel like that's pretty good. After sending out, you know, I would say several hundred text messages of this nature, and only one person has abused that by sending me just a ridiculous amount of text over the span of seven You're days. You're blocked. Exactly. It, it was, was fairly that easy time to Andrew say. visited your church? exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so they do get my personal i do know self. that some some pastors um not I, I i don't know if this is a good thing or not a bad thing i just i've heard this done before and i'm trying to process it because i do think like tim as your church grows and several hundred people have your phone number it might not be the best thing to be able to have easy access to you especially on your sabbath time or your family time and stuff I've heard that um, some people will transition their number into a Google number, and so they'll have a they'll have a personal number to their phone that they give to like, you know, small group of people. But everyone else gets a Google number that you can literally um, turn off or like, you know, have it where it goes straight to voicemail when it doesn't reach. The only problem is that Google number when you text from it is green, so that's lame. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but but the the newer the newer iPhones have the ability to have two numbers on the phone oh yeah you have your you know one is on your sim card and one is on your phone and so in theory you you could easily have a second number on that phone and keep those those text messages blue so people don't think you're poor we started using we started using Clearstream, which has worked pretty well for us which has a pco a planning center integration as well but it's a texting and it's a back and forth texting. Now you pay, you have to pay for it. We were able to get a year for free because they counted us as a church plant because we're in replanting yeah. status, but uh, it's not that expensive. That, that um, So you are able to like send text messages like a normal phone, but, but also yeah, but blast. I also can sync it with, I can sync it with lists it, that I generate from planning center. So like I have a Sunday morning, regular attenders list yeah. that I keep yeah. updated and I will send a weekly email through MailChimp just kind of with what's going on in yeah. the church. That goes out on Thursdays usually. And then on Friday, I'll send a text with a link to that MailChimp campaign in Clearstream just saying, hey, in case you missed it. And uh, that's been working pretty well. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, I th- this is something in my church right now that we're trying to develop and figure out what's a good fir- first steps process or f- first visitors process. Uh, Dell, does your church have anything that's different or in addition to what Tim just described? Um, it's a lot of the same things, just put in different boxes. So first time, first person comes, they get a card, and uh, and once we get the card, they go in our system. They get a call from a deacon that afternoon. Oh, wow. I fill out a I fill out a card on Monday, so they're receiving that by roughly Tuesday. Um, they obviously have their bag and everything. So that's that's our two biggest reaches. 
what I do do, like, for example, our church is not massive. Our campus is not massive. So we had a guy who owns the new Chick-fil-A getting built in town. And he came to visit our church yesterday, but he didn't fill out a connect card. And I empathize with that because he's new to town. He's probably checking out multiple churches, right? So he doesn't want 15 churches sending him stuff, man. I mean, you got I practice some empathy there. But I do know that um, he seemed to really enjoy church. So his good friend brought him. So what I did today is I reached out to his good friend. And I said, hey, man, and I just vibed him out. So I'll text him later this week. So if they don't, I guess what I'm saying is if they don't give me a connect card, I at least try to take notice of who they were talking to while they were there. And if someone else brought them, I will at least make an attempt to uh, to reach out to them, but not in like a stalkery kind of way, right? So like, for example, this guy came and visited. I'm not going to ask my friend, what's his home address? So I can send him a note. That's weird. I am going to go to the new Chick-fil-A's website and send him a personal email thanking him for coming to church. So I I try to close those loops wherever I can. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I mean, this is helpful. This is, this is encouraging. If you want information about your first step or your first visitor process or new first, first time visitor process, uh, go in the, in the Facebook group and you can see more information about this. And you can see Tim's uh, little screenshot of, of, of the app that he has in there. So, well, Hey, uh, this was great. As always, please join our Facebook group, follow us on Instagram. Uh, the link in the show, there's links in the show notes for all the things that we talked about, but also we want to see you in February. All right. You see, you feel how oppressively hot it is right now. It won't be like that in February in Tampa. It's going to be, um, it's going to be warm enough to maybe even swim, but it's not going to be like 105 degrees in Arkansas hot. You know what I'm saying? It'll it'll be maybe like, you know, mid 70s, you know, low 80s at the most. It, it's, it'll be a good time. So with that said, I, I, I'm excited for the conference. Go sign up at practicallypastoringconference.com. Get those vacation days. Get those conference days. Get your church to pay for it. It'll be worth your time. All right. With that said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. Delmar, we didn't hear you because you were on mute. I guess Del's on mute, but he is Delmar P. I'm Delmar P. <laughs> I did say it. <laughs> I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm in front of Tim this time. And I'm Timothy We'll do Miller. better next time. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better. 